Good morning. Nice to see you all. Um, for those of you who I haven't met or don't recognize me, my name is Hannah and I am the youth pastor. Which is <laughs> kind of exhausting just to say, let alone like do. There's, there's 43 of them on Friday nights. It's a lot. <laughs> I love them most of the time. Um, but they are a fresh breed of something. And they keep showing up. Which is great news, um, but it means that I have to like translate, like I have to reorientate myself to you guys who actually listen and are attentive and respect me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, now we're, um, but it's good. If I could take all of your energy and like disperse it among all of them, it would be like a different thing. It would be a lot less entertaining and we wouldn't damage as much stuff, but that's okay. Because, like, I think collectively you hold the amount of energy that, like, one of the grade eight boys have. Maybe. Depends on how much sugar they've had before they come to you. Please send help. Jen came on Friday and was like, there's a lot of them. And she's like, this is a lot of work. And I was like, I know, we need a raise. I didn't say that, but now I've said it here, so... Let's get into this sermon. Um, we're in this series. Uh, we just started it last week, and we're carrying through until Easter on how did we get here? This wonderfully vague question that's meant to guide our conversation as we figure out what it means to be Baptist. Um, we're talking about some of our fundamental beliefs. We're exploring of like who we really are and what's our identity what makes us part of our denomination? And what makes us White Rock Baptist Church? Just easy breezy stuff. And so last week, Pastor Brian set the foundations of the series saying that we enter into this conversation about our identity as a big family who loves each other. And as we talk about these things that others might disagree with, we can come back to the fact that we're united together in love. And so this morning, I wanna dive into some of that. And I get to talk about probably the most important part. <laughs> no pressure. And it's the part that builds the foundation that makes us family. And it's the part that we build all of our other parts on top of. That's why we call it a foundation. So <laughs> we're going to talk about our statement of faith. And I, I, please don't fall asleep on me <laughs> because it's uh, a wordy eight sentences or eight points, but they're great. Um, walk with me for a second as I explain this. The Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, which is the denomination that the organization that we see ourselves belonging to, its statement of faith is something that we, as a local church, agree to. And these eight points, which I'll get to in a second, are connected to our larger identity statements. So these core eight points are the foundation and they are powerful points of theology that inform and guide everything else. These are the lines that declare who God is, what God does, and God's relationship to us as his church. It's big picture level, but it's really important. These eight points are the major points. They, they are the ones we're staking our claims with. The rest of the identity statement goes on to point out some of our distinctives, which Jen and Brian are going to kind of navigate us through over the next couple of weeks. 
so they'll get into those details. But those other identity statements point out more explicitly what we believe as Baptists, and specifically as Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, but we can only do that after we've tackled this foundation. So bear with me for a second. I'm going to actually read the statement of faith. Um, if you want, you can go to www.cbwc.ca and read along with me on your phones if you want. But it starts by saying this. The Canadian Baptists of Western Canada together affirm wholeheartedly the revelation of God as given in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and confess their faith set forth here. We explicitly assert the doctrines which we regard as crucial to the understanding and proclamation of the gospel and to practical Christian living. Number one, the sovereignty, love, and grace of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in creation, providence, revelation, redemption, and final judgment. Two, the divine inspiration of Holy Scripture and its entire trustworthiness and supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Number three, the value of each human being as created by God. The universal sinfulness of humankind since the fall, which alienates from God and subjects all to condemnation. Number four, the full deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, whose substitutionary sacrifice is the sole ground of redemption from the guilt, penalty, and power of sin. Number five, the justification of the sinner by the grace of God through faith alone in Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Number six, the illuminating, regenerating, indwelling, and sanctifying work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the believer. Number seven, the church set us forth in the New Testament and understood historically by the Baptist community. Eight, the expectation of the personal, visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ, our participation in the resurrection, and the hope of eternal life. Take a deep breath. <laughs> There's a lot of words in there. Um, they are very loaded sentences. And I could curl up in this chair and read those books and a lot more of them, and starting with a dictionary, and we could talk about what those statements mean for a very long time. We could have an entire sermon series dedicated to one of those lines. It would take us through the year easily. But we're not going to do that. Not because it's not worth it, but because we feel like they're so foundational, these statements are intertwined with what we already say and do. We hope that these truths are evident in the messages, that they are present in our values, and they have influenced all of our various ministries. Because they are the foundation. We've spent a lot of time as a church building on these. So for now, you are saved from a sermon series on justification and substitutionary sacrifice. Now, the other fun thing is I'm in a church history class right now for my master's. So once again, I'm going to subject you to what I'm learning in school. I'm sorry, but not really. In my, in my church history class, we're talking about all of the people who shaped these statements. And there's a long history of how they've been debated, fought over, edited, thrown in some mild heresy, edited again to get these incredibly powerful statements. 
These have been debated throughout history, and we are absolutely reaping the benefits of the theologians, the pastors, and the churches who have gone before us. I'm not going to map out church history for you this morning either. Trust me, there was a guy who said this, and he argued with so-and-so, and then they argued, and there we go, the end. Just kidding. If you really want, I'm writing a final paper on it, and it will be ready at Easter. But I don't want us to just say that we blindly accept these statements because of the history. We haven't said, yep, they'll do, and gone along with it. We've, we've done the due diligence to study them before accepting them, and we didn't just accept them because someone said that they were the right ones. Now, obviously, we believe that they are the right ones because it would be deeply problematic if they weren't, but there's also a very long history of the Baptist church affirming these statements. So we have these statements, and we agree on them, but it doesn't stop there. The point of these statements isn't just to wave them around saying, hey, check out our statement of faith. We got the right ones. What these statements do is they draw us into action. They push us towards worship, towards service, and towards community. Our buddy Paul got this. He understood it. And he understood that Christians needed to be rooted in what they knew about God so that they could worship and serve together. So we're going to open our Bibles, or your phones, um, or you can look on the screen behind me. We are in Ephesians chapter 3. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. For this I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's point is clear. He wants the readers to be established in their faith foundation so that they may, be inti- they may intimately know Christ's presence and love. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians, and it works for us today. He wants them to really, really know the love and power of Christ. As an aside, it's a really fun passage to kind of write out in like sentences and write out like the prayer and then the so that. Makes your brain think about it a little bit differently. Try writing it out this week. Love brings movement. To really know Christ's love is to be transformed by love, and that transformation brings action. And yes, this love, when joined with the power of the Holy Spirit, leads us to action in an outward focus towards others. But if I go down that road, I will be stealing what some of Jen is speaking about in a few weeks. So I want to talk about the very first response this knowledge brings worship. 
This knowledge of who God is and what God does starts and ends with us worshiping God. As I said earlier, and Brian even mentioned last week, theology is not for grand ideas and academics, says the master of theology student, but it is expressing our relationship for God, with, with God, aka worship. Which begs the question, what is worship? It's not just talking to God. Worship is more than the songs that we sing or the prayers that we pray. I read this week that worship is an act of inner agreement with God. It's the highest point of view that says, look, look at what God did. Worship is the act of taking our attention and focusing it on God. Now, of course, that we do that with the help of songs and in prayers and even academics, but worship is so much bigger than what we think it is. It doesn't matter, actually, if the worship team isn't singing the songs that you like. That's a you problem. You don't get to be a spectator in worship. Worship is an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's this all-encompassing thing. Worship is where we meditate on God. It's not a time where we ask things of God. There is a time and place for that. But worship is us pausing on who God is and what God is doing in us, through us, and among us. Worship is rooted in the character of God, focused on Christ and hopeful towards eternity. We sometimes need to be reminded about what we believe. And we do that in worship. And that's why Paul calls us to be rooted and established. It's why we ground ourselves as a body of believers in these statements of faith. When the world is seeing war, when tragedy hits, when life is just hard, we're rooted and grounded in the immovable facts of who God is and we can worship him. And I think that's the beauty of Paul ending his prayer with this doxology, this praise to God. He says, to him be the glory. And then that in itself is a loaded statement that I could spend an hour, on, an hour on because God is a God of glory and this glory reveals who God is and it's the glory that also transforms us. And in our transformation, we live a life to give glory to God and reflect the glory of God in our lives as we wait to see the full coming of God's glory to be revealed. Skill testing question, how many times did I say glory? But that's worship. Daryl Johnson said, worship does not begin with us. Worship has been going on long before we got out of the cars this morning and into the building. We are entering into a worship service that is always in progress. See, we are summoned to worship God. We are welcomed into worship and continue to worship God. We are invited to participate in the very worship that has been going on and will continue to go on with or without us. We often say it's this beautiful thing to know that we are worshiping with a whole bunch of other churches at the same time on Sunday morning. And that's true, it's beautiful. But if we extend these moments of worship outside of a Sunday morning from 10 until 11.15 or whenever Hannah stops talking, 
And if we extend it into our cars when we're commuting or while we're washing dishes or walking the beach or waiting for a photocopier on a golf course or at the beach, we are joining into a ceaseless praise of God. We've established that we're a family. We do faith together, the celebrating and the wrestling. This theology, this pursuit of getting to know God and what God is doing, a lot of that we do together as a community. So it demands a communal response, and that's worship. And that's why we do this and we sing together on Sunday mornings. Can I tell you something that might shock you? I'm going to. Um, these statements aren't just accepted by Baptists. Um, so many other people in the world would agree on our statements of faith. B bearing a few edits, probably, like the whole Baptist community thing, um, there are a lot of people who would sign off on this, even Pentecostals, even Catholics. And that's beautiful because it means that we can gather together, celebrate the goodness of God and the things that we do agree on and worship God together. Because, spoiler alert, we're going to be in heaven worshiping together anyways, so why can't we start now? You know what else I learned in class this week? The word denomination is an inclusive word. Not exclusive, it's inclusive. It's not a word that's meant to pit each other against each other. Denomination isn't a word that creates competition or hostility, as maybe I once thought. But denomination allows us to celebrate this oneness that the kingdom of God invites us into. Denominationalism is the original agree to disagree. It's a word that came into place to allow for our different opinions on baptism and communion and yet still unite as one under statements like ours. Worship proclaims what we are for and really who we are for, not what we're against which is why we can collectively worship. So why do we spend so much time arguing about what makes us different? I know that's a little risky to say in a series about what makes us different, but I digress. I think we, I think we should celebrate these differences and obviously we have differences and that's normal, that's good, that's to be celebrated. But so often, we actually use our differences as competition, or we weaponize it, or we use it to put up walls because all of a sudden, we disagree on one thing. Why are we focusing on the things that make us different when there is so much that unite us? The things that we are for draw us together to worship and to serve together. At its core, denominational theory establishes and looks for the unity, but allows for personal outward expressions. And I love how it's rooted in a place of love and togetherness rather than something that seeks to exclusively define our differences. As we walk together as a family in this church within the CBWC and with the global church, we can come together to worship God and celebrate our differences. 
We can celebrate the fact that, oh, hey, we do baptisms a little bit differently. But it's so cool that we are both celebrating a life for, marked for Christ. Right? These statements, they give us a safe place to land. Because they're not changing. Yes, it is absolutely worth it to come back to these over time and to double check that what we say we believe holds true to the Bible. Absolutely. But we've chosen to be rooted in these so that we can pro fully proclaim the gospel and live a life of worship to God. There's a lot of freedom in knowing that God is constant, that God doesn't change. Because life does, and famous Christians come and go, and they will start debating something like, should women be in ministry? Ask us how we feel about that. These statements aren't changing. I mentioned earlier, but these statements, these truths of God, give us a foundation to worship when it's hard. Um, I was in the car this weekend with my parents and my grandma who are here and we're only saying nice things. We're only telling them about the good stories, okay? And I need a blockade for PJ because if he says it, only the nice things, okay? I'd like to get a gold star at the end of today. Um, anyways, I was in the car with them and we were passing a funeral and my grandma asked me if I had ever done a funeral and I said, yeah, I had done a co-one. Like I co-led one and we were talking in the car about how that was a particularly rough season for me. Um, not just because this person had passed away because those circumstances were deeply tragic, but it, it was on top of a series of events where everything was going horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Um, and I responded quite flippantly and said, yeah, this happened and this happened and this happened. It was like the worst week of my life. And it's true, it was the worst week of my life. Um, I'm okay, we're fine, we've gotten a lot of counseling, I grew a lot, I'll tell you about it one time. But you know what helped me get through it? How great would it be if I said the identity statements? That would have been like the perfect sermon illustration, but it's not. So not these identity statements, but it was a worship song. It was Paul's letters in the Bible, I clung to the songs that I had sung and to the scriptures that I had read. Because I was rooted and established in who God was, I was able to know God's presence at a very desperate time. I had experienced these statements at work in my own life, so I knew that they were true when I needed to cling to the truth. I could worship God because I was confident in my foundations. That's why we memorize scripture. It's why we sing these songs. All of it helps us remind ourselves who God is. It helps reset our perspective. You don't have to memorize the statements of faith, although I will take you out for coffee if you do. But you do, you do need to know the power and the truth behind them. The song that Sarita pointed out, this King of Kings, it's the catchiest statement of faith I've ever heard. It moves from the incarnation to the birth of, like in the birth of Jesus, to the death and resurrection, to God's coming, to the Holy Spirit empowering the church, all with a catchy chorus that reinforces the Trinity. It's a powerfully loaded theological song. And earlier this week, Jen and I were talking about these statements of faith, and she said, 
People don't come to faith after reading our statements of faith. We kind of laughed about it because as powerful as they are, these statements need to be experienced. People come to faith after they see the cause and effect of these statements. We accept them and we hold to these statements of faith because we have seen the change that the gospel truths that they've made. When people are baptized, which you're gonna see on April 10th, it's gonna be exciting. We're really, we're really looking forward to it. But when they get baptized, we're not gonna start cheering and be like, yay! They put their whole head under the water. Congratulations. No, we're not gonna do that. But what we are gonna celebrate is the fact that we have seen their life of, that people have seen their life of sin and darkness and they've turned into God's grace and God's love. We're gonna to get to hear how they experience these statements of faith in not so many words. And we're gonna hear how they came to know God and believe these statements and moved into action. We're gonna celebrate the fact that God has done a work in their life and that God will empower them through the Holy Spirit. We're gonna to pray together that they would continue to know more and more about how deep, high, wide, and, lo and long God's love is. That they would crave this fullness of God's presence. Paul's prayer urges us to experience God's love and the wonder and the worship that result from it. It's that love that gives us a foundation, gives us stability for life, which gives us hope and trust in God. This is what Paul means when he says, and to know this love, which is kind of a fun oxymoron because that Paul slots in there. He prays that we would know a love that surpasses all knowledge because this love is both the source and the goal. For us as a church family, we've agreed and we celebrated these statements of faith because we know them to be true and we've seen the truth of these words in our lives, in the lives of the church. When we think about our statements of faith, they are hefty and long, but they are not boring. They are far from it. Our God is not idle and these statements prove it. They are active because what they cause us to experience. They are, they are exciting declarations of who God is and what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Our statements of faith are rooted in who God is and grounded in what God is doing so that we can focus our attention towards a posture of worship. As we establish ourselves in these statements of faith, we are drawn into worship. It's truly in worshiping together that we can celebrate the things that we do do a little differently because we are rooted in the same truths about who God is and what God is doing. So I'm gonna invite the team back up and we're gonna sing some more truths about who God is um, but I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the power that you give to each one of us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the truths of who you are, that we can cling to them in good days and the bad days. 
We thank you that we have an opportunity to enter into the worship that's happening. Even enter now in this church in White Rock together as this family. Lord, I just pray that you would show us more of, of who you are, that that would draw us into worship, that you would show us in those small moments of our day-to-day life where we can focus in on you, that we would celebrate our differences and gather together, that this big family would be bonded over the truth of who you are and that you call us into the same kingdom. We're grateful for family and we're grateful for your, for your love, Lord. And as we sing together, I just pray that you would show us more and more about how big and how long and how deep and how wide your love is. Thank you, Lord. Amen.